Let's open our Bibles to the book of Job, the 20th chapter. Job chapter 20. We're going to take up Zophar, the Namathite, and this is the voice of legalism, Job chapter 20. Of course, Bildad is the voice of tradition. Eliphaz is the voice of experience. So, the voice of legalism, the voice of tradition, the voice of experience all cry out against Job. By this time now, Zophar is really no longer considered a friend. He has become so bitter that he's not a friend anymore. He's just really trying to do Job in and accusing him of everything. In this chapter, he shows the the state and the portion of the wicked, and he applies it to Job. Now, it's true that the state and the portion of the wicked, as we see it in this chapter, as Zophar gives us that description, is true. Many things about what he says. But on the other hand, when you turn around and apply all of this uh, condition and situation to Job, a just man, a man that feared God and eschewed evil, then you're taking what may be true uh, in some instances and applying it to the wrong person and becoming judgmental on the basis of legalism. And that's what uh, we do so many times. We make mistakes by saying, well, this accounts for this. And then when Job gives his answer in the 21st chapter, he's going to show uh, Zophar that actually... What he said is true in some instances, but it doesn't apply in every instance because sometimes the wicked are right the opposite of what Zophar says. And so when we read this, we need to anticipate Job's answer and how that it may switch around a little bit, even though we find a great deal applied to wicked men and sinners and judgment and things of that nature in this 20th chapter. So we'll pick it up with verse 1. It says, Then answered Zophar the Namathite and said, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I may taste. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of, of my understanding causeth me to answer. He's as much as saying, Job, all of this that I've told you before, and he had spoken uh, before to Job on this same basis. He says, all of this that I've spoken, you've paid absolutely no attention to it. You seem to didn't, uh, you, you did not get the message. I told you why all this had come upon you. And remember, at one instance, one of the three friends said that uh, God is giving you less than you deserve, that you should have more punishment and judgment than you're receiving. So we find, he says, my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste, I'm ready to do it. I've heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. And he says, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon the earth? He says, Job, I'm going to tell you something. That looks like you should know this. Job, don't you know this that I'm about to say about the wicked? And he starts out that the triumphing of the wicked is short. You know, he acted as if Job knew nothing. He acted as, as if Job was naive. He acted as, as if Job had no wisdom or knowledge of God. Don't you hate it when people treat you and act as if you know nothing? And Job had already spoken spoken the truth time and time again. In fact, in this last chapter, he affirmed the fact of redemption and the uh, confidence of a final appearance with the Lord and uh, believing in the resurrection. And Zophar doesn't believe in any of this because we're going to read 
uh, as we read the scripture here, that he's even denying the resurrection or any portion after this life is over. And he was just an outright uh, unbeliever in many respects as far as the spiritual things were concerned. <clears throat> so he says, Job, uh, knowest thou not this of old since man was placed upon the earth? In other words, since Adam was placed here. That the triumph, and he starts out telling the things about the wicked. And the first one is, verses 5 through 7, that the wicked's triumph shall be short. Now look, that the triumphing of the wicked is short. In other words, God cuts the wicked off right away. Well, he does sometimes, but not all times. And when Job gives his answer, he's going to show that that's not always the case, you know. Just because we see wicked men cut off for sins at some time doesn't mean that all wicked men are cut off for their sins because many of them live and prosper. And Job points that out in the next chapter. And for a long time in life. And he says, The triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. Though his excellency mount up to the heavens and his head reach into the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dung, they which have seen him shall say, where is he? And he shows the triumphing of the wicked and how short it is and how the, the man is finally going to be cut off. He's going to be cut off and is going to perish and he won't be known anymore. He will be gone. He doesn't apply the fact that he'll be resurrected and that there will be a judgment of the wicked in the future. But he says that's all there is to it. God's going to cut him off and that's the end of it. So he was hitting some points of the wicked in a true way. But the main thing, he was applying this to Job. He's saying, Job, your joy, your wicked, uh, your triumphing is short because you must be wicked. And your joy is for a moment because you must be a hypocrite. That's what he was telling Job, that he's a hypocrite. He had told him that before. And he says, that's why he was really applying this and saying, Job, that's why God took away all your possessions and your family and everything. Your triumphing was just short. We've seen, you know, this is what you deserve. This is the voice of legalism. Job was getting what he deserved. And though it's true in some instances that God brings judgment upon men because of what they deserve, yet it wasn't true in Job's case. And when he took these truths and applied them to Job, he was misapplying the truth. And the devil's good at that. Remember, the devil came to Jesus and he says, it is written, and he quoted one of the Psalms, and he says that uh, when he wanted him to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple, he says, written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And if you go back and read the portion of Scripture that the devil was quoting to Jesus, he, he took it completely out of the context and had no application whatsoever to this situation, but he was twisting it and perverting it to his own purpose. And the devil uses Scripture. Just because someone quotes Scripture to you doesn't mean anything if he applies it to you wrongly. And the devil can do that right away. You get some of these judgmental preachers and they'll come down on little churches like ours or, or preachers like Randy and I and, and you as a Christian and, and even though you're trying to do your best to serve the Lord, they expect you to, you know, they expect a different thing. And they judge you on the basis of that. Well, you better be careful because God is the only true judge. And God knows how to judge the righteous and the wicked. And He's going to judge them properly. And so, we find He applies all this to Job. He says, though His excellency, He knew Job in verse 6, had, had great respect previous. Mount up to the heavens. He knew that uh, Job made the widow's heart to sing for joy. 
He knew that he was very generous and that all of these things, that he had a lot of respect in times past, but he thought, well, Job, you must have had some terrible sin and you're getting what you deserve because God uh, has proven that the triumphing of the wicked is short. And that's why you don't have anything now. Can you imagine applying everything to people in that way? And that's what he was doing. And he says uh, in verse 7, Yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. They which have seen him shall say, Where is he? In verse 8, He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision of the night. We see all this would apply to the temporal prosperity and, and uh, blessings of Job. But Job had lost all of his possessions. He'd lost uh, his sons and his daughters, seven sons and three daughters. And, and he was smitten from the top of his head to the sole of his feet with sore balls. And his wife said, do you still maintain your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? It's pretty hard when the, the, the one that's to be nearest and dearest to you would turn against you and think that you're deserving what you get. Terrible situation, isn't it? And sometimes you just have to stand alone with God. And that seems to be where Job was. He was rather alone. And it was pretty hard for him to overcome all this criticism. You know, if you receive enough criticism long enough, you'll finally begin to say, well, maybe, you know, I'm probably guilty of all these things. You know, Job just kept on letting them brainwash him and say, you know, Job, you have this coming. The voice of legalism, the voice of tradition, the voice of experience. And they all knew best for Job. And finally, it'll sink in. Job begin to think, well, you know, that's true. Because all of us are sinners. And we try to, to pick out what particular thing in our life had caused all this problem. And, you know, even if you search it out, you, you say, well, it doesn't seem like it'd be that bad if I'm still trying to live for God. You know, it doesn't seem like it should be this severe. And uh, you get to believing a lot of lies. It's been said that if a person tells a lie long enough himself, that finally he'll get to believe in it before it's over. So, in verse 9 now, it says, The eye also which saw him shall see him no more, neither shall his place uh, any more behold him. Now, remember what Job had said in the 19th chapter? Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and know after the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall behold for myself. He says, I believe in the Redeemer, and I believe in the resurrection, and I believe that after I'm, this old body is destroyed, I'm still going to uh, rise up to see God. And this fellow said, no, this is, a, this is the last of you. Verse 10 says, His children shall, shall seek to please the poor, Look here. Shall seek to please the poor, and his hand shall restore their goods. In other words, the poor shall oppress his children. You know, it's pretty bad when the poor have to serve the poor. That's what it's talking about. His children shall, shall seek to please the poor. They're going to be so impoverished that they're going to serve the, those that are in poverty. You've heard of people that are poor serving the rich and the wealthy and those that could afford to have servants and etc., but have you ever heard of the poor having servants that were so impoverished that they served them? He says, this is how low your children, this is how low things come. In verse 11, he says, his bones are full of the sin of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. In other words, he was saying his sin would abide with him from now on. The wicked, and he's applying it to Job. And it's true that a man's sin shall abide with him, and, and he has no forgiveness 
And he shall take his sins with him to the grave. And there's no forgiveness after that happens, is there? But he was applying it to Job. He said, Job, your sins are still abiding with you. And you're going to take them right on down to the grave with you. His bones are full of the sins of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Verses 12 through 14, he uh, shows uh, the moral appetite of the wicked and how it leads to confusion. Let's read verses 12 through 14. It says, Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it still within his mouth, in other words, he turns it over in his mouth like a sweet morsel. And he's talking about wickedness being this sweet. And he, uh, he uh, in verse 15, verse 14, Yet his meat in his bowels is turned, it is gall, is the gall of asp within him. When he swallows it, it becomes poison to him. Verse 15, He hath swallowed down the riches, and he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. It says his moral appetite shall be but confusion. He shall not be able to enjoy his riches, and it will become soul-sickening to him. And you know that's true for the wicked a lot of times, isn't it? That what they have in the way, way of riches and, and pleasures, they turn to sour on their stomach. In the book of Hosea, chapter 2, when it's speaking of the children of Israel going into idolatry and as much as committing adultery against God, in other words, playing uh, a separation from God when they were married to the Lord, and the application, I'll just read it so we'll get the, the picture because he used a real incident to, uh, to display this truth. But in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. Now, this was, this was the children of Israel's condition before God. And it says this, uh, For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, God says, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, and she shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, and turn back to God. For then was it better with me than now. You see what God said? The affliction would come on. First of all, it says in verse 6, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. In other words, he would bring affliction. A way may be found through the thorns and briars, but only with a lot of pain and difficulty. You ever go out in the thorns? We used to pick pecans out in Oklahoma, down in the uh, draws, you know, and there would be a lot of thorn bushes around. Pecan trees and beautiful pecans, but if you didn't clear out under the trees, well, you had to crawl through those thorns and weeds and everything to get the pecans. And it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to go through briars and thorns. It could be done, but it's only with the affliction of pain and difficulty that it comes. And then it says, uh, I will and make a wall. This is the difficulty. All joys shall be cut off. Bereavement can come. The way of difficulty. You know, the way to hell is difficult. The Bible says that he that is often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When a man goes on and hardens himself against God, there will come a time that God will cut him off. And then perplexity. Notice the next thing. I'm just reading here in Hosea. It says that she shall not find her paths. Looking for a way to go, and the way is 
doubtful or uncertain and there's confusion. She shall not find her paths. Have you ever been lost out on a trail? You get on the wrong trail and where am I now? And you try to get back. You go out in the forest, in the woods, and you can't get back to the right place. The timber and all just seems to confuse you. Your sense of direction and everything is gone. And so he says, I will hedge up uh, that she shall not find her paths. And then verse 7 says, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. That means she's going to have failure as well. Affliction, difficulty, perplexity, failure, chase and pursue after her lovers, chase and pursue the love of of pleasures of sin. You know, the Bible says the pleasures of sin are for a season, and that's true. There's the only pleasures that are lasting are God's pleasures, and they're forever. And they have an element of of uh, lasting value about them. But the pleasures of sin are for a season. Remember, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And a lot of people out here are just sin seekers and pleasure seekers, and they think they're going to find satisfaction, and they shall not. He says they're going to seek after their lovers and not find them. They seek after honor or fame or recognition. Some some people uh, are not so lustful in their seeking, but they're they're prideful and they want honor. They want fame. They want position. They want power. They're still going to be disappointed because there's no power but God. The Bible says the powers that be, even our authorities in law and government, are ordained of God. And even Satan only has the permissive power that God lets him have. There is no power but of God. And all power comes under his uh, His uh, authority. Now, in another thing it says, uh, she shall seek after them, but she shall not find them. That means there will be disappointment. Do you know you never get the thing you seek for when you're seeking away from God? You may think you do. Say, oh boy, look what I've got now. First thing you know is sour grapes, isn't it? You ever buy something brand new and say, boy, you know, this is this what I want. You get home and you find all the flaws in it. Say, you know, that wasn't near as good as the old one I had. That old one I had was better than that. You ever been disappointed that way? Disappointment. And see, I think God has permitted that to be so we'll learn the lesson that the only real values are spiritual and eternal instead of temporal. If we just stick to temporal things, we're going to be very disappointed. Uh, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So you read this, by the way, it applied to the rich farmer too, didn't it? Remember the rich farmer? In Luke chapter 12, let me read it for you. Uh, Verse 15, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Paul says covetousness is idolatry. You know, you and I wouldn't want to be Christians uh, wouldn't want to be accused of being idolaters. And yet Paul says covetousness, a Christian can be worshiping idolatry, can be an idol worshiper. You know what? It, John says, little children, keep yourself in his epistles. The very last word of the first John, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He said that to Christians. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it says covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought within himself. Brother, it was all himself. We have this humanistic thing nowadays, don't we? It's all me and mine. It's all do as I want to do. I'm my own God. I can do as I please. Never mind if it hurts anyone else. That's their problem. It is. It really isn't. The Bible says no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. And we're going to affect people one way or another, and if we can either be kind and loving and caring, or we can be right the opposite. And people that are selfish and want only to please themselves, they can't please God. The Bible says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Jesus took them. So notice this rich man. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my goods. Look at, if you have that twelfth of Luke, look at the times you find the personal pronouns. He thought within himself, said, What shall I do? There's another one. I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits. That's in one verse. And he said, This will I do. Again and again. Look at the word I. I will pull down my barns. This is Luke 12, verse 18 now. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And now will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, God didn't say it was all his. He said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And it says, So is, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, being rich toward God is far better than laying up treasures. Being rich toward God, God will permit you to have all you need. And sometimes many luxuries, many blessings, many things we... A lot of things we do not deserve, for what do we deserve anyway? But He'll give you blessings. But He does that of grace. He doesn't because you you really uh, deserve it all. The Bible says God has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We're thankful that He hasn't. If He had, we, we wouldn't have anything. We're thankful that God deals with us in a different way. Okay, back to the book of Job, the 20th chapter. And we read where in verses... 12 through 15, how that he will not be able to enjoy his riches and they will become soul sickening and he will vomit them up again. It says in verse 15, and God shall cast them out of his belly. It says he shall suck the poison of ass. The viper's tongue shall slay him. He shall not see the rivers, the floods, the brooks of honey and butter. And though all these things that uh, Zophar was saying applied in many instances to, directly to the wicked, yet his big problem was putting Job in this category. That was really his problem. Had he just preached his sermon and quit trying to point people out, you know? Had he just preached his sermon to Job and Job says, yeah, that's true, and then apply it to a man that's really wicked instead of applying it to Job, he would have been all right. When will we learn to let God do the making the application? Because we don't know what's in a man's heart. We only see the outside. We don't even know because of maybe a, a terrible situation financially or physically that, that is caused by any direct sin. We don't know that. All of us have different things happen to us during life. And uh, some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. 
Bible says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. And the Bible says, if need be, you're in great heaviness and through manifold temptations. And God knows if it needs to be. And evidently it needed to be for Job. Because Job, you know Job's only problem? Job's problem was this, that he was righteous, but he knew it. It's all right to be righteous, but don't think too much of it. Be righteous, but still depend upon God. Be godly, but still depend on God. Be sanctified and holy and separated to God, but still depend on God. And don't think yourself to be too much. And so the lesson Job really needed to learn in order to see God. But his, his friends were accusing him falsely. That was the problem. And so when we read further, let's go on down. It says uh, in verse 17, He shall not see the rivers where it uh, always holds your place where we're studying. Job chapter 20, verse 17. He shall not see the rivers, the floods, and the brooks of honey and butter. In other words, he's not going to enjoy the good things. That which he laboreth for shall he, uh, for shall he restore and shall not swallow it down. According to his substance shall the restitution be, and he shall not rejoice there. In other words, all of his riches, all of his wealth, all the labor of his hands is going to come to naught. Because he hath oppressed and hath forsaken the poor, because he hath violently taken away an house which he buildeth not. In other words, he was stealing, he was covetous, he was oppressive. In verse 20, Surely he shall not feel quietness in his belly, he shall not save of that which he desired. All the riches and wealth he uh, accumulated. If I could remember the story of uh, the man's name is Eastman of the Kodak Film Company and all the wealth that he obtained and we're told that after a night of depression he went out and committed suicide. But uh, I can't remember all the details at the time but you take it. People build a great big company have wealth untold and then all of a sudden depression comes and tragedy comes and you don't enjoy it. And it's terrible for men to think that that's going to answer all their problems. Remember the man that... uh, Wrote uh, in World War One, and you may have read it in history and be familiar with it. Wrote the song, "Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile." And after a night of depression, this man that wrote that song did the same thing, committed suicide because his troubles couldn't be packed up in a kit bag, could they? And you can't pack yours up either, and you can't always smile when you'd like to. So we have to learn to depend on God to help us through these troubles and trials. Okay, let's go on with this. It says, uh, Surely, uh, verse 20, He shall not feel the quietness in his belly. He shall not save that, save of that which he desired. There shall none of his meat be left. Therefore, uh, shall no man look for his goods. Now, in verse 21, His abundance shall not satisfy. Again, we're kind of talking about the same thing. It says, in the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. In other words, it's not going to satisfy him. Temporal things cannot satisfy spiritual appetites. And he says, uh, in the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. Every hand, of, every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. Do you think the sufficiency that you have will bring peace? When he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. Remember the children of Israel in the wilderness? They said, we want some meat to eat. God says, okay, I'll give you some quails. The quail came in and they covered the ground everywhere and they took, they just went out and 
they were so gullible and so hungry and so uh, gluttonous that they picked up everything they could find and they started cooking all these quail and finally ran out their ears. They were dissatisfied. They began to loathe what they had, God had given them because they desired the, the flesh to eat instead of being satisfied with the manna that God sent them down from heaven. And the Bible tells that the manna was absolutely sufficient and it was so sat- it was uh, bodily satisfying and it was sent from God. And in Psalms it says they did eat angels' food. They did eat angels' food and were not satisfied. And they complained against God. And He took care of them day and night in the wilderness, led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The sun would not smite them by day nor the moon by night. This same pillar of cloud went before, from before them, went behind them to separate them from their enemies. God uh, saw to it that their clothes didn't wear out. For forty years their shoes did not swell, their, uh, uh, their feet did not swell in their shoes, and they were able to wear them. You see, God miraculously and wonderfully supplies, and the abundance, out of their abundance, it says in verse 23, when he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. The Bible says better is that that a, a poor man has with God's blessings than all the riches and all the abundance of the wicked. Verse 24, it says, He shall flee from the iron weapon and the bow, bow of steel shall strike him through. In other words, he'll flee from one from a sword or from an iron weapon, but someone has a bow adventure pointed and it shall strike him through. Remember one in the Kings that said he drew a bow adventure and hit his target? Wasn't that Ahab, if I remember right? The man drew a bow adventure and hit him and struck him between the harness or the only opening in the between his chest to where he could be hit hit with the with the arrow. But uh, you'll find that you cannot escape God's weapons, can you? It is drawn and cometh out of the body. Yea, the glittering sword cometh out of his gall. Terrors are upon him. Verse uh, 26. His treasure shall be found in darkness. Look, all darkness shall be hid in his secret places. Darkness, darkness, darkness. Notice. It says, uh, It shall go ill with him that is left in his tabernacle. The heaven shall reveal his iniquity, and the earth shall rise up against him. Heaven and earth cry out against him as witnesses. His iniquity is revealed wherever he may be. The increase of his house shall depart, and his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. Look at that. The increase of his house shall depart, and his goods shall flow away in the day of his or God's wrath, of his wrath. And this does happen to the wicked. He says, this is the portion of the of a wicked man from uh, uh, from God and the heritage appointed unto him by God. That's that's pretty good uh, so far. You really brought some good uh, messages here on the wicked and the judgment that God will bring upon them. And he said that you're, they're cut off in a moment. They'll not live long enough to enjoy any of it. But the, the flip side of that is that many do live to enjoy the blessings of this life in spite of their wickedness. Remember in Psalm 73 when the psalmist said, you know, when, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, my feet were upon slippery ground. He said, they lift up their voice against the heavens. Uh, they are, they're not oppressed. They not, do not suffer uh, affliction like other men suffer. Remember all those things that happened to wicked? Let me turn. Psalm 70. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Listen. 
The psalmist said in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are a clean heart. He said, God is good to other Christians. But he says, as for me, <laughs> you know, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Look at that. Do you ever feel like God's good to everyone around you, but not to you? When you get to feeling that way, you're feeling too sorry for yourself. Because God is good to you too. He's good to you too. You just can't see it. And this man couldn't see it either for a while. But he says, uh, uh, As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish. Here was his problem. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. They don't suffer affliction. So he's showing us, the psalmist is showing us the flip side much as Job is about to when we read in the chapter we're studying in the book of Job. And look what he says. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. <clears throat> Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. Now look, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. They speak against God and curse God. And their tongue walketh through the earth. They're boisterous and proud and uh, uh, always putting God down, denying any uh, supreme being or power of any sort, and especially a personal God that would have anything to do with them. Therefore his people, uh, the psalmist says, Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. In other words, God's people suffer uh, really afflictions and trials. And they say, How does God know? The wicked say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, listen, who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. This is what Job is about to tell so far. That they're not always cut off as you try to put them in the same category. Because sometimes they prosper in the world and they increase in riches. And then he says in verse 13, Verily I have cleansed my hands in vain and washed my hands in innocency. In other words, what good did it do me to become a Christian and to try to live right? For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Well, did he realize whom the Lord loveth? He chasteneth. See, he doesn't realize it's God's love. Now then look, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. I can't tell everyone about my afflictions because people will misunderstand. You see where the psalmist's problem was as much as where this man was trying to put Job in the same situation. But Job was a little wiser than that. He knew how to answer it. We'll get back to Job in a moment. But then he says in verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. The 17th verse of this psalm is the turning point. He says, When I got into God's presence, I began to understand therein. I wasn't in slippery places. They were the ones that were in slippery places. When you get to feeling sorry for yourself as a Christian, just say, well, where is the wicked going to be? And so he says, I understood therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, o Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus was my heart grieved, and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I. And ignorant, I was as a beast before him, before thee. He says, Lord, I never should have been like this before you. 
He said, I was foolish, and therefore I was pricked in my reins, in my heart, in my inmost being. I was convinced and convicted inside that, God, you're really good to me as well as all of Israel. But he says, and, and I was so foolish as to believe that your blessings were really upon the wicked. They made a big show of it, but they, it wasn't really true. And then he says, uh, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. What a text that is. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. He began to see things different, didn't he? For he says, For lo, they that have, uh, are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Now Job is going to pick up about the same thing. Job chapter 21. But Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech and let this be your consolations. Let this be your retractions. He says, Suffer me that I may speak. And after that I have spoken mock oath. Job had a reason to be grieved in me because of the uh, speech in the sermon that Zophar had preached to him of the wicked. The message was pretty good, but applying it to Job was the wrong thing. And he says in verse 4, uh, As for me, is my complaint to man? And if it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled? Verse 3, he says, You just keep on mocking, but I'm going to bring my situation before God because if it's to man, no wonder that I have a problem that I have. Look in verse 5, Mark me and be astonished. And lay your hand upon your mouth. You ever seen him fellow? My lips are sealed. Job says, why don't you just lay your hand upon your mouth and just be quiet a while. And he says, I'll tell you about the wicked and I'll tell you about the righteous. He says, I want to speak a few things. There's some mysteries about the things of God. Job shows that material prosperity does not always prove that a man is righteous. And he's showing, he's going to show that wickedness on the part of uh, some does not prove that God is going to bring immediate judgment. The Bible says, well, is my time gone? And I'll quote this and quit. And we'll pick up here in the next lesson. But the Bible says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. In the book of Ecclesiastes. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now what did Job say? He says, uh, mark me and be astonished. Lay your hand upon your mouth. And Job is showing that material prosperity does not prove that a man is righteous. Just, just as sure as if a man were to say, well, you know, it must be alright if God doesn't strike me down and judge me, well, everything must be alright. And that scripture I quoted to you, you know, people say, well, you know, if there's something wrong, God would strike me down. Not necessarily, as all the time there is. He's not in any hurry. Judgment is his strange work. He's got from now throughout all eternity to bring his judgment. He doesn't have to do it now. And it says, because, get this verse again, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily right now when it happens. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. People in our country, they go on their merry way and their sinful way and say, well, it must be acceptable with God because God is letting us live this way. And, and surely if he's letting us live this way, in fact, most of them don't even believe in God anyway. So many people 
do not even want to hear the name of God and uh, will not receive a message, a sermon, a witness, or anything. And they put all Christians under the category of fanatics or uh, ignoramuses or whatever, however they would like to classify us. But friend, it just isn't so. And there's, God knows those that belong to Him. And He says, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from